1: Well, welcome in. I hope if you walk away with nothing else today, that these stories that we're hearing like this are why the church is so worthy of whatever investment that we can put into it the local body of believers it's worth it like you hear the story of this wonderful lady in her 60s adopting four kids their lives will never be the same it's such an amazing story and it's a story that another chapter got added to it today Uh, we shot that video several weeks ago um And then over the last month or so, those kids have been taking their own steps toward Jesus. And today they were baptized at our eight o'clock service. So, yeah. So I just, again, I just hope that you recognize that whatever investment we put into the body of Christ, Man, it's worth it. This is the only thing that's gonna make it into eternity. And so whatever we can do to see that story play out again and again, man, it's worth everything we got. So glad that you're here. My name's Jason, I'm one of the pastors here. wanna welcome in all of those who are joining us online and those of you in Prescott Valley today. Uh, just so you know, it is Pastor Kenny's birthday today. So make sure you say happy birthday to him and you can remind him that he's older than I am. So that would be really great. He loves to hear that. Although I do have to say it's it's really more of a dig on me because I look way older than he does. So that, anyway, happy birthday, Kenny. Glad to have you with us and glad all of you guys are here in Prescott. Uh, We're continuing today this series that we started last week that we're calling Excel. And if you missed out of last week, then I really, really, really want to encourage you to go back and at least watch The vision video that we put out. So you can find it on your app is the best place. Just pull up your app. It's first thing on your dashboard. But I want to make sure that everybody understands what this season is all about. As we shared with you last week, Excel is a two-year journey of discipleship that we are embarking on as a church where each of us are choosing to take a step to grow as better disciples of Jesus. Because as our mission says, we are Called to become, to create more and better disciples of Jesus. And as we become better disciples, it fuels us to make more disciples. So here's what I want you to hear as a church. What you and I do over this season, over this next six weeks, that's going to spill over to the next couple of years, will propel our church into the next few decades. We have before us an opportunity to literally take ground for the kingdom of God and create an outpost of ministry that can be leveraged to make disciples for decades to come. So again, if you missed out on what it's all about, please go check that out today. I want you not just to understand this opportunity that we have, but I want you to get excited about this opportunity to impact not just hundreds, not even thousands, But literally, we have the opportunity before us to impact tens of thousands of people with the gospel through the result of this Excel season. And that's not an exaggeration. Like, I hope if you've been around for a little while, you recognize I'm not a hype man. Like, I don't just get up here and try to hype people up. That's just not what I do. Um, Those who know me best know that I am much more of an Eeyore than a Tigger. Okay, like I am a natural born pessimist. I am a gifted killjoy. I am a certified professional skeptic. Like if you ever need anybody to shoot down your dreams, I'm your guy. All right, that's what I do. And yet with all of that being true, here's what I believe. The kingdom impact that stands before us is greater and grander than I think most any of us can imagine. And the ripple effect of what we are embarking on has the potential to change eternities. And we should get excited about that. But it isn't going to just happen. It never just happens. There's not like this magic wand that we can wave and it just all comes to pass. We have to step into it. We have to seize the opportunity. We have to be willing to do the hard things and pounce on this moment with all the gusto that God gives us. And it starts in the same way that every great move of God always starts. It always starts with God doing something in us before he ever does something through us. And so this season, this six-week season that we're setting apart, is we're just asking God to begin to do something in us so that we get to participate in what he wants to do through us. So that's what this Excel season is all about, and we're glad that you are here to be a part of it. I want to make one quick announcement. We are going to have an advanced commitment night for those of you who are ready to step forward and lead out in generosity in this season We want all of you to be here. Like this is going to be September 14th. It's going to be at the Finley Toyota Center in Prescott Valley. And here's the thing. Like we are scattered across a lot of services on two campuses and online. Like we don't ever have the opportunity for all of us to come together and to celebrate what God's doing in our midst as one body. This is an opportunity for us to do that. Is to come by and to celebrate what God's doing among us as a body of Christ. So we want all of you to be there. All of you in PV, all of you who are online, all of you here in Prescott, come join us. Let's be a part of this. If you're ready to take a, take a step and lead out, then this is the time. September 14th at Finley Toyota in Prescott Valley. So Mark that on your calendars. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to 2 Corinthians chapter eight. 2 Corinthians chapter eight, that's where we're gonna be. If you have your book, how many of y'all brought your book back? Yay, for you. If you don't have a book, raise your hand and somebody will bring you one. So for this series, we have created this book that has all of the vision information in it. It also has sermon, places to take sermon notes. It also has... uh, personal uh, questions for reflection. So grab you one of those. The ushers will be bringing those by if you want one. Make sure you take that and put your name in it, by the way, because here's what happens. You leave them here and they all look the same. So put your name in it. I found one in the men's bathroom today. So put your name in it so that we can get it back to you. If you have your book, we're going to be on page 28 in your book. So as we dive in today... Let me remind you of where we left off last week. We're studying these two texts or two chapters in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, where the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in the city of Corinth. And he's writing to this church and he's inviting them into this generosity initiative that he's trying to put together to use their resources for the sake of other people. And in doing so, he spends the better part of two chapters giving us what I think is the greatest theological footing for generosity that we have in the entire Bible. So I want to pick up, uh, back up, I'm sorry, back up to where we talked about last week, chapter eight, verse seven. This is kind of the thesis for the whole series. Paul writes, but since... You excel in everything. This is where we get the title for this series. Since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So this is where we left off last week. With Paul putting giving in a category most of us have never put giving in in our life. He puts it into the category of things that we are to continue to grow in for our entire life. If you are a follower of Jesus, here's what I know. You recognize that when it comes to things like faith and knowledge and earnestness and love, you never arrive. Like there's never a place where you get to your faith and you say, oh, I have no more no more to grow in my faith. I've reached the pinnacle of faith. No, you don't. No one would say that as a follower of Jesus. No one would ever say, oh, I've, I, I know all there is to know about following Jesus. Like there's nothing more for me to learn. I've got it. Check that off the box and move on with my life. You wouldn't do that. Or love. Like we know nobody would say as a follower of Jesus, I have completely mastered loving God and loving other people. Nothing I have to think about for the rest of my days. I have made it to the top. Like all of these things, we know I got to excel. I got to keep growing. The word excel simply means to take a step, to go beyond, to outdo, to surpass. That's what excel means. And we know that in all of these areas. And then Paul says, see that you also, in the same way that you excel in all of these things, in the same way you know you never reached the peak for any of these, see that you also excel. In the grace of giving. In other words, we are to look at generosity in the same way that we look at faith and knowledge and love and earnestness and recognize that this is something that we never arrive at. Here was our takeaway from last week. When it comes to generosity, we never arrive. There is no amount. There is no percentage that we get to where we can say we have arrived and we can check it off the list. But it is something we are to intentionally continue to grow in for the rest of our lives. So this is where Paul starts this conversation by putting giving in a new category. You and I haven't arrived. Wherever it is you are in your generosity journey, you have not arrived. There is a step for every single one of us to take. So with that understanding, let's dive into our text today, which is literally just the next couple of verses. So this is verse seven. Here's verse eight. I am not commanding you. That's good news, right? Like he's talking about generosity, "Ah, but I'm not commanding you. I'm not commanding you. Now this is huge. I know for some of you, you think about giving, specifically giving to the work of God. Like you've been told, it is a command, and you've been berated with this idea, bludgeoned with this idea that until you get this right, or unless you get this right, you can never be right with God. So, Paul begins by saying, ah. I'm not commanding you. Now, I don't have time to get into all of the other verses in the Bible that address giving and generosity. There are a lot of them, and there's a lot of teaching that God has for us in it. Jesus spent a lot of time talking about it. I don't have time to get into all of those, but for this project specifically, what he's inviting this church into in this moment, Paul says, I want you to know, I'm inviting you into something. I'm not commanding you to go do something, but I'm inviting you into something. In fact, we're going to see it in a couple of weeks where he's going to say, if your giving is out of compulsion, if your giving is because you've been berated and manipulated, then you shouldn't give. He's going to say that. You shouldn't give because, because that kind of giving does not honor God. And our generosity ought to honor God. So if, you, if you're being guilted into it or coerced into it, then you shouldn't do it because it doesn't honor God. And our generosity should honor God. As we said last week, all throughout this text, what we're going to find over and over again, and we're going to see it again today, is Paul is so much more concerned about the heart of the people who are giving than the needs of the people who are receiving. He cares so much more about the heart of where the money is coming from. Than the need of the people that it's going to. He cares about the heart of these people. And he wants to make sure that their heart is in the right place. And a command to give. Hear this. A command to give. A mandated act of generosity. Actually isn't even generosity. Like. Like mandated giving is counterfeit generosity. You you can't mandate, you can't command generosity. Generosity by its very definition is going above and beyond what is required. And if you're commanded to do something, then it's not going beyond what is required. So it it can't even be generosity. We're going to get to that even in a few weeks as Paul lays this out for us. He cares about the heart. He wants to make sure that it's coming from a heart that is right. So he says, I'm not commanding you, but there's always a but. I'm not commanding you. Notice it's a comma, not a period. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He said, I'm not commanding you, but I am comparing you. I'm not commanding you, but I am comparing you. I'm comparing your love to the love of the people who came before you. Now, this backs us up just a couple of verses where we were last week, where Paul began talking to the Corinthian church by pointing to the generosity of the Macedonian churches. So there are some other churches that are north of Corinth in places like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. And they had heard about this initiative that Paul was putting together. And they were so eager to give. Even though these churches were enduring. Terrible persecution, extreme poverty. They hear about what Paul's doing and they can't wait to give. They said, please let us be a part of this. Please take our money. We've collected this offering. Paul, please let us be a part of what you're doing. And they give Paul this money and whatever he expected, they gave more and he's blown away. And Paul connects that giving to the sincerity of their love. Like they love God and they love people, and I can see it by their generosity. So, Paul tells the Corinthian church, Hey, I'm not commanding you to do that, but I am going to compare it. Like, there there is a sense that your generosity will help me to see your love. I'll get to see your love on display through your generosity because that's the way generosity works. What we do with our money always puts our hearts on display, always. All throughout scripture, you see this connection. Now, in scripture, you'll hear talked about an idol, that, you'll, that we all have these idols in our hearts and we got to get rid of the idols in our heart. An idol is anything that we've placed above God in, as importance or priority in our life. Now, here's what I know. Money is almost never an idol. Money's never an idol. I know some of you push back. You've heard that it is. It's really, I don't think it is. I think money is almost never an idol in people's life. What money does is it reveals our idols. What money does is helps us to worship our idols. That's what money does. It's almost never the idol in and of itself, but it does help us to worship our idols. Let me me give you a, a couple of examples. Nothing reflects our heart more than our money. Nothing reveals our idols more than our money. Money isn't the idol. It reveals our idols. It reveals what's most important to us. If if our image is what's most important to us, then it will get revealed by the clothes that we buy, the cars that we drive, the neighborhood that we live in, and how much Botox we use, right? It reveals our idols. If our If our image is most important, then our money gets fed to to procure an image that we want people to see. If, if If our security is our idol, it gets revealed in the money that we hoard. I mean, save. That we save. I said save. Because there's something in us that says, if I keep all of this, this money, it will keep me safe. I'll be protected. And so security is our idol. We see it through our money. If entertainment is what's most important to us, it gets revealed through how much we spend on concerts and ball games and vacations and that trailer full of toys that we keep in the side yard. If our kids are what is most important, it gets revealed in how much money we invest into their sports endeavors or wardrobe or their array of gadgets. And if God is what is most important to us, it gets revealed in how much we're willing to invest in the kingdom, into the events and environments and people who grow our faith or our kids' faith and help others connect to the grace of God. Money is almost never our idol, but money will always reveal our idols. It, it becomes the means of worship for our idols, which is why Jesus famous, famously said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice what comes first. It does not say where your heart goes, your treasure will go. Not what it says. Where your treasure is, there your heart will go. Where your money goes, your heart flows in that direction. It's just the way it goes. Our money becomes the means of our worship. So, Paul being concerned about the heart of these people, he says, I'm not commanding you, but I am comparing you because how you respond to this opportunity reveals your love. It puts your heart on display. Paul says, I saw it in the Macedonians through their generosity, and I'll see it through your generosity. And this isn't the only comparison that Paul's going to make to motivate generosity. Paul now moves from pointing to the Macedonians to pointing to, to Jesus Himself as a picture of generosity. Verse nine For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Though he was rich, for your sake He became poor. Now, for this to make any sense at all, we have to recognize the reality that Jesus' life did not begin in a manger surrounded by sheep, shepherds, and little drummer boys. Okay? His existence did not start in Bethlehem. He is God. He's always been God. He will always be God. Okay? We believe that our God is three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus eternally existed as a part of the Godhead, which would make him, in Paul's language here, that would make him rich. Like he's God. He had it all. Everything that has ever existed or will ever exist belonged to him. He was rightly worshiped in every moment In the true holy of holies in heaven, the angels did nothing but sing his praises. Everyone in his presence always rightly bowed down to him. All glory was his. This is the life that Jesus experienced from eternity past. Then God chooses to create the heavens and the earth as we know them, and he created man. In his image, and he breathed his own breath to bring man to life. And those who bore the very image of God betrayed him, they sinned against him, they rebelled against the great God of heaven. And Jesus responded out of his own will and volition. He responded under no compulsion or obligation. Jesus responded by giving up what made him rich. He gave it up. He gave up what made him rich. He exchanged heaven for earth. He exchanged a throne for a cave. He exchanged all praise for great criticism. He exchanged glory for shame. He exchanged power for weakness. He exchanged being worshiped to for being whipped. He exchanged proclaiming his will to pleading for his will. He exchanged having his name hallowed to having his name cursed. He exchanged having earth as his footstool to having... No place to lay his head. He exchanged being all knowing to having to be taught. He exchanged being served to being the servant of the least of these. He exchanged being bowed to to bowing down at his disciples' dirty feet. He exchanged eternal glories at God's right hand for the greatest pain known to man. His divinity was wrapped in flesh. The creator became part of the creation. The king of kings took off his crown and picked up a cross. The author of life gave himself over to death. I don't think that we can comprehend the value of what Jesus gave up. He was rich, but he made himself poor. For your sake, he became poor. I can't, again, I don't think that we can imagine, I don't even think we can comprehend the gap between what Jesus had and what he became. Like I tried to imagine the gap between like the King of England or Elon Musk or whoever it is that you would put on the pinnacle of human power and money and wealth and comfort. What, what Put it however high you can get it, whatever that looks like. You put that on one end of the spectrum and then on the other end of the spectrum, you think about the, the most destitute, broken, powerless, forgotten, crippled child in the slums of India. Like, like, like a child whose life, he's, they're nameless and they're faceless and they're living literally in a, in a dump on the other side of the world and their life, when they came into the world, they were never known and they will die and they will never be remembered. Their life is nothing. Literally living in the garbage heap of the world. You put those two gaps whatever gap you think from the highest to the lowest, can't even begin to compare between the gap of being the one inside the holiest of holies in heaven, the great holy one, moving from that to literally becoming sin, becoming sin and being punished as such, being nailed to a cross. It doesn't even compare. The gap is too far. Jesus knew what it was to be rich and he voluntarily gave it up and became poor. Why? So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He was rich and he came poor So that through his poverty, you could become rich. He gave up all that was rightfully his so that you could have what should never have been yours. He became poor so that you could become rich. He descended so that you could be exalted. He took on flesh so that you could experience the divine. He became a servant so that you could reign. He was tempted so that you could overcome. He was despised so that you could be glorified. He was shamed so that your shame could be removed. He was condemned so that you could be freed. He became homeless so that you could be could have an eternal home in heaven. He was separated from the Father so that you could be united with the Father. He was cursed so that you could be sanctified. He was reviled so that you could be redeemed. He was put to death so that you could experience life. Jesus gave up what was rightfully his so that you and I could experience which should never have been ours. And he did it voluntarily. He did it eagerly. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John 17, or John 10 verse 17. The reason the Father loves me is I lay down my life. I lay down my life. I do it. Nobody snatched my life from me. I laid my life down only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. It was my choice. I did it. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Nobody made me do it. Nobody compelled me to do it. Nobody obligated me to do it. It was my decision. I laid down my life of my own accord I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. Everything he gave up, he gave up of his own accord. And he did it so that you and I could experience something we never deserved to experience. Which is why Jesus is the greatest example for us of generosity. It's no surprise Jesus points to him and says, You should be eager. You should be eager to give up whatever you have for the sake of others because you follow a a Savior who did that. There, There is nothing that we could give up that bears the value of what Jesus voluntarily gave up. Our willingness to let go of this thing that we think is so rightfully ours when we eagerly, voluntarily give that up, it is just one small way that we get to honor the generosity of our Savior who gave up everything. Not out of a command. Not out of obligation. Jesus was not commanded and he was not obligated. He did it voluntarily. and Paul's inviting us to do the same. We should be eager to excel in the grace of giving because of the eager generosity of our Savior. Like there, of all of the people on all of the planet, the followers of Jesus who understand the grace of God, there should be no people on the planet who are followers of Jesus that should ever, ever, ever need anybody to twist their arm to be generous. Of all of the people on the planet, we of all of them should understand The value of generosity, because we get to live in our Savior's generosity. Our generosity is a reflection of our Savior's generosity. Jesus gave, and because Jesus gave, we can be saved. Because Jesus gave, we can be saved. And I want you to know that our generosity, our choosing to willingly be generous for the sake of others, us excelling in this grace of giving, it could be the very catalyst that allows others to be saved. Jesus gave and we got to be saved and now we can give so that others can be saved. Again, you need to know this. God always uses people who know him to resource the work of those who don't know him. This is just true. God always uses people who know him to resource the work for those who don't know him. Like this has been true of every every environment where you've heard the gospel. Every camp you ever attended every church you've ever been a part of, every missionary you've seen sent out, all of those people have always been resourced by people who know the Lord for the sake of people who don't know the Lord. Every Bible that's ever been translated, every hospital built in the name of Jesus has always been done by people who know the Lord for the sake of those who don't know him. This is the way God operates. This is the way God has always operated. The kingdom takes ground through the work, the witness, and the resources of his people. Always. Our generosity is what fuels the work of the kingdom in the Quad City area and throughout the world. In fact, Paul Paul made this same argument in Romans chapter 10. If you're a part of the Roman series, you may remember this. Paul writes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To which we are like, yes, amen. The gospel is open and available to everyone. You notice there's some quotation marks here, right? Because he's quoting an Old Testament text. And he reminds us of this truth. The everyone, the gospel is available to everyone. And we celebrate that. But that's not Paul's point here. After making this truth clear, he comes out with a bunch of questions. And I want you to focus on the questions. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes, that's true. How then can they call on the one they have believed in? And how can they believe in the one that they've not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? And how can anybody preach unless they are sent? Paul says, yes and amen. This is true. But they can't call on him if they don't believe in him. And they can't believe in him unless they've heard about him and they can't hear about him unless somebody's preaching to them and they can't preach unless somebody sends them. It all comes down to somebody has to send people to go do this work. That's the point. We love this. Yes, they all need to be saved. They all need to hear the gospel. But for any of that to happen, somebody's got to send them. Somebody's got to send them so that they can preach and share the gospel, so that they can hear it for themselves, so that they can believe it with their own heart and call on him with their own mouth. But it ain't going to happen unless somebody's sent. And through this Excel initiative, all we're trying to do is Quad City Christian Church, we're just trying to equip those that we've sent 18 months ago, we sent out a group into PV for the sake of taking ground for the kingdom. And what we're, one of the biggest pieces of this Excel initiative is we just want to equip them to give them everything that they are going to need to reach everyone in that community that is being flooded with people who need to hear and believe and call so that they can be saved. And we should do it eagerly. We should be eager. Hear this. We should be eager to make ourselves more poor materially. So that others can become rich spiritually. We should be eager to make ourselves more poor. So that others can become rich With the only thing that's going to matter in the end. Because that's what we watched our Savior do for us. He who was rich. Became poor. So that we could be rich. And if we say we follow Jesus. We ought to follow him. And do for others what he did for us. Let me pray. Father thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that it is for us. And I pray that you'd begin to stir up in us a generosity that is just overflowing because we are so grateful of of what you gave up, the value that you were willing to hand off so that we could be rich. May we as your followers reflect that same sacrificial generosity. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.